Coming to you from the Philadelphia area, this is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. Well, in the past several weeks, we have seen from the scriptures what demonic spirits are capable of doing. In the gospel books, we have seen demons throw children into fires, try to drown them in rivers. We've seen them cause people to foam at the mouth and to violently convulse and to shake on the ground. And yet primarily what we've noticed in these past couple of weeks, though, are the far more insidious ways in which they operate, I believe, mostly in the world of today. Where they can even use religion and religious phrases and spirituality in order to attack Christians and churches from within. When it's possible for Christians to come into the church with that same demonic presence that lives to point the finger in accusation. And to where such a child of God can even become the Diabolos themselves in the process. And yet mainly though what demons do is roam the earth. Seeking in pursuit of our our joy in Jesus Christ and our peace. We know that the demons want to destroy our families, our marriages, churches. But more than anything what they want to destroy are our, our souls. Because they know that that would grieve and bring a tremendous world of pain to the heart of God. And yet despite it all though, as the people of God, there is always good news of great joy that changes everything. And that is even though we've seen what demonic entities are capable of doing, more than anything else, we've seen what God is able to do. That no matter how terrifying and malicious and dangerous the spiritual forces of darkness are to our lives, the darkness trembles in cowardice and in fear before the name and the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we've seen many demons in the gospel books, but this morning we will see yet another one in the book of Acts. And so we begin this morning in Acts chapter 19. And this morning we begin with good news. Acts the 19th chapter, this of course is many years after Jesus has risen from the dead and has returned to heaven. The church has been established on the earth, but we still see the demonic entities remaining. And yet this is what we read in Acts chapter 19 and verse 11. Where Luke says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that, he had, tu- that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. So isn't it a wonderful thing that as we read this, I mean, the, the um, um, people who believe in the name of Jesus Christ have come a very long way, haven't they? 
You may remember how just maybe three or four weeks ago in this series, Mark chapter 9, Jesus comes down from the mountain and his followers were unable to, to drive a demon out of a boy. And yet now notice what is going on all throughout the book of Acts. Now we see these guys growing up in their faith. Earlier on in the book of Acts, all that it takes is just Simon Peter's shadow passing over sick and suffering people. And their sicknesses are immediately leaving their um, bodies. And as we see here in chapter 19, all that it takes, all that it takes, is just people touching the rag that, that the Apostle Paul used to wipe the sweat from his face. And demons are fleeing out of people left and right. And you see, this is how much greater our God is than the Prince of Darkness. Where all that it takes, Jesus says, is, is having faith even as small as a mustard seed in the powers of God in us. All that it takes is just a, a, um, um, I'm a tug on the hem of the master's garments. And we will see greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. As we see elsewhere in scripture. And yet even though all of this is true we have to realize that, that until time surrenders and time is no more, the darkness lingers. And there is more that we could read this morning in our text. And so we continue in verse 13, where then it says that then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying that I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaimed. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. And so once again, we hear a demon hissing to us in the pages of the sacred text. And it says, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became well known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was extolled. Well, what happened to these Jewish itinerant exorcists? is indisputably one of the most disturbing and terrifying and ghastly things recorded anywhere in the scriptures. You know, as we read this, we might very well wonder, I mean, how did this happen? I mean, where did these Jewish exorcists go wrong to such an extent that this would unfold in this house? You know, it's a very interesting thing because Jewish exorcism was, was very prominent and in this point in time. There are many ancient historians who actually give Hebrews credit as being very good, being very skilled in the art of exorcisms. And what is demons to us was um, a dibbuk to Jews. And whenever a, a demon or a dibbuk would be exercised from a person. Really, a signature sign every single time was, was a drastic night and day difference in that person's behavior. 
They were now in their right mind when, when just a blink ago they were raving lunatics, violent, or whatever it may have been. In some ancient writings it even says that there was blood dripping from, from a person's toenails or on their hands as a demon successfully left a person. And yet as we notice here in Acts chapter 19, though, none of this is happening, is it? None of this is happening. As, as embarrassing as it was for the apostles being unable to drive a demon out of a boy in Mark chapter 9, they were never viciously attacked by a demon as we're reading here. And yet the closer that we see exactly what is going on here, the more that it, it becomes clear to us how wrong and improper their own motives were as they tried to drive this demon out of this person. As we compare the sons of Sceva with Jesus and the apostles, whenever miracles have been performed by, by um, Jesus' hands or by the apostles' hands, this was always in order to show people God's power to the praises of God. It was never under any circumstances to their own individual publicity and fame. And yet in time, what we find in the book of Acts are, are many religious con artists running around trying to make a name for themselves. Earlier on in the book of Acts, we have a magician in Samaria who actually approaches Simon Peter trying to actually buy God's Holy Spirit with money. I mean, he actually thinks that it's going to turn into an episode of Pawn Stars, that we're going to go, you know, am I going to go 800 for the Spirit? Am I going to go 900? Well, the absolute best I can do is about 300, perhaps. And yet Peter makes it very known to him that that's not how it works with the Holy Spirit. You can't just buy it with money. You can't just obtain it in a pawn shop as if it were something cheap or something used. And once again, what we find here is that same religious con artist, charlatan spirit. Where the sons of Sceva see all of the incredible things God is doing, and they see what the Apostle Paul is, is going about doing, and, and they're sensing an opportunity. In our own modern day language, it would be something like, can you imagine the name that we can make for ourselves if we figure out what he's doing? Imagine all the money that we're going to make. We might even get a show in Las Vegas. Maybe a TV show. Maybe, maybe a book deal. I mean, something. I mean, just everybody's going to gather around and watch us drive demons out of people. Everybody gather around, watch me drive demons out of people. See, it's very evident to us in the text that, that they don't want to actually help people. They don't want to glorify God. These guys want to become superstars. But I think worse than even that, though, is, is how they're using the name of Jesus. Now, there are a lot of theologians who, upon reading this, are, are very much of the mindset that, that what they're doing is actually a combination of Jewish exorcism as well as magical arts that were prevalent in the city of Ephesus. And yet, to add insult to injury, not merely are, are they most likely doing this, but they're also throwing Jesus' name in that pot. And they're cheapening the name of Jesus Christ. As these, exor as these exorcists 
stand before a demon invoking Jesus' name, the name of Jesus Christ means absolutely nothing to them. This is not the Jesus who they have been baptized into, who they pray to, who they have suffered persecution for, as others have, but rather all that the name of Jesus Christ is to them is just the latest get-rich-quick method and scheme. It's nothing but an experiment to them. So as they see sick people being healed and demons coming out of people in such a powerful way in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, they Their eyes are deceiving them. They think that Paul is doing all of this. And they think that, well, if he could do it, I could do it too. And yet, obviously, what the problem with this is, is that Paul was not doing any of this, was he? This was all the workings of Jesus Christ. Now, notice in verse 11 how it does not say Paul was doing extraordinary things. But rather what it says is is that God was doing extraordinary things through the Apostle Paul. I mean, it was Paul's hands, it was Paul's voice, it was Paul's rag that he was wiping sweat off of his face with, but it was God's power. It was a deliverance only coming about from the heavens. I mean, the book is called The Acts of the Apostles, but... But as we see all of these healings and miracles and wonderful things happening in people's lives, it's all the acts of Jesus Christ. And as we read in the text, though, as these exorcists begin to invoke the name of Jesus, what is especially alarming to us is how this, this demonic spirit responds to them. Now, a few weeks ago, you might remember how in Mark chapter 1, in an evil spirit speaking to Jesus says, I know who you are, Jesus. I, I know exactly who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And yet notice in our text here this morning, though, as the spirit is looking at these sons of Sceva, it has no idea who they are. I, I know who Jesus is, it says. I recognize who Paul is, but I mean, who in the world are you? In other words, you are not a follower or a believer of Jesus Christ. You are not a companion of the Apostle Paul's missionary journey. So so tell me this, who in the world are you? You don't have the authority to tell me anything. And that's what this demon is saying more or less to him. And you know, you and I live in a world where there are a lot of people doing a lot of things in Jesus' name, aren't there? Jesus said that a time is coming when many people are going to announce to him, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. We even drove drove out demons in your name. And yet for a lot of people, Jesus is going to say, I never even knew who you were because I don't really care about all that other stuff as much as I care about whether or not you, you live doing the will of God upon the earth. So there's a lot of people who Jesus is going to say, I don't know you. Isn't it interesting, though, that here in Acts 19, an evil spirit is saying the same exact thing. I don't know who you are. And I mean, as soon as this evil spirit speaks, this is when the attack occurs. And we see once again just how powerful and destructive evil spirits are. Where Luke says that it leaps onto them. 
It overpowers them and it sends them running for their lives out of the house, naked and bleeding and wounded. And understandably so, as, as the whole entire city of Ephesus observes this, they are absolutely petrified in fear. And yet it, it is that kind of fear, though, that, that stands in awe of the power of God. Having seen a very stark difference between God's power and the power of pretenders who are making it look like they have such abilities, but they do not. They're just imposters. And in the text it goes on and it says that there is a mass repentance in this city where a lot of people practicing dark arts bring magical spell books or, or some kind of, of incantation collection and they burn it there in the city. 50,000 pieces of silver worth of magical books burned in the city. Well, as we read about these men running out of this house after being attacked by a demonic entity, bleeding and naked, really to us Christians, though, this becomes a very powerful cautionary metaphor to us. And that's because I believe we should look at this and to think in our minds that, I mean, this is what it looks like. When we stand before the spiritual forces of darkness without the power of God, without the spiritual full armor that God has given to us. Well, as I read just a moment ago to us out of the text, this demonic spirit who was inhabiting this individual's body did not know who these exorcists were. And yet I promise you that they know who you are. And I assure you that they know who I am. I mean, they know who, exactly who we are. And it's not because we are apostles or because we, we are amazing miracle workers. It's because we are wearing the name of Jesus Christ. It's because his holy blood is cleansing our soul of all of its sin. It's because Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling in our souls. In his book, Seeing the Unseen, by a minister named Joe Beam, which, which I encourage you all to read if you want to go further in these studies. What he writes is, although he possesses great power, we need to remember that Satan is not co-equals with God. God is everywhere at once. God is all-knowing. And yet Satan is an angel. Angels have great power, but, but angels are not equal with God. Angels cannot be everywhere at once. And yet, he writes, he's got armies of, of angels, demons, and other people who do his work for him. And there is no doubt whatsoever that, that one of his evil servants knows each and every one of us intimately. And I mean to anyone and everyone who has ever wanted to disrupt this, this us-against-them construct of this world with, I'm going to go out there and love everybody in my sight. With the more hellishly that the world treats me, the more heavenly I'm going to respond to it. With I'm going to deny myself of what I want and elevate the needs and desires of other people above my own. 
I promise you that spiritual warfare is being declared upon us every single time that we live that way in this world. See, it's just entirely too dangerous to the principalities and powers. They very much want this world to be deeply invested in us versus them, them against us, good guys over here, bad guys over here. And yet what the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ invites us to is there is no more them, there is only us. There is no more enemies, there is only neighbors from now on. I mean, they know exactly who we are because they know whose we are. And you know, this is why I believe that God has given us a family in order to live the Christian life with. And that's because there comes a time when, when every single one of us will be, grow, grow very weary and lose our grasp on the truth. We're going to begin searching for our identity and self-worth in men and in, in, in this world rather than in the Christ gospel of peace. There comes a time for all of us when we disregard his word and we stop praying and our faith grows cold. And yet, if it were not for God working through my brothers and sisters in Christ all throughout my life, there's no doubt in my mind that I would not be here this morning. In fact, I believe that if it were not for brothers and sisters in our life who have helped us get up, this would be an empty auditorium this morning because we all need each other in this way. And that's because without the full armor of God, Without the power of Jesus Christ in us, we are all naked and bleeding and wounded and helpless and overpowered by the principalities and the powers of darkness. And yet, lastly this morning, though, it's, it's just very important that we concentrate on what is most important. Here is what truly matters. I'm reminded of something that Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sends out 72 believers of his for a very special mission. And all 72 return, and they are just ecstatic with good news. Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Guess what? And they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to you when we drive them out in your name. And I believe that the Ephesus that they're speaking with is, Lord, the demons are, are um, subservient to us. Lord, we drove those demons out. And Jesus looks at them and he says that, I saw Satan fall like lightning from out of heaven. Yes, I've given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all of the power that the enemy has. But nevertheless, Jesus says, do not rejoice when the demons are subject to you. But rather what he says is rejoice that your names are written right now in heaven. Do not rejoice when the demons are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven at all. I mean, in other words, as exhilarating as it is standing face to face with a demonic entity and winning a battle, there is something so much greater and more important than even that. And that is knowing that the power of God that is in us is no match for, for all, or rather the, um, 
All of the darkness of this world is no match for the power of the God who is in us. And so what this means, my brothers and sisters, is that we can rejoice this morning in all of the days of our life that satanic angels are not the only angels that there are. I find it so answered. You know, I find it so interesting in Matthew chapter 4, where after Jesus has undergone a time of temptation, Matthew reveals to us that, that God the Father sends angels in order to minister to God the Son. Garden of Gethsemane, exact same thing. God the Father sends angels to, to comfort and to minister to God the Son. And I mean, if Jesus Christ had to have angels stand at his side and to minister to him, if the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and Abraham and, and so many others needed angels standing at their side in a scary time, I mean, just imagine how much more you and I need angels ministering to us and standing at our side. You know, last week I spoke about a time in my life where I was feeling hopeless and depressed. And my thoughts were, were very dark with regard to myself. I didn't want to live anymore. And I was working two jobs at the time. I was a minister at a church, but I was also a, a truck driver at a homeless shelter and at a food pantry. So I get back to the warehouse from, from Walmart. I've got a huge order of food in the back of the truck. And I walk inside our food pantry, and there's all of the um, volunteers volunteering. When all of a sudden there is a person who approaches me in the hallway. He is an older black man. It's about Walter Horsey's age. 28. <laughs> 20, 28 indeed. And so he is... Um, older slash younger black man. and I mean, just the most jubilant smile on this man's face. I mean, it was a smile so jubilant that as soon as I saw it, it gave me goosebumps. And I'll never forget what he said to me, exact words. Hey, what you say, Dave? It's all going to be all right, Dave. It's all going to be all right. You're a son of God. And we are fighting for you. Well, I thought nothing of it, really. And I go in about 12 feet away into the other room. I tell my boss that I've got all the food. And we walk back into that room where I just was about 10 seconds earlier. And the guy's gone. I mean, no new names on the volunteer logs. No name badges. No trace of this guy whatsoever ever having been there. I mean, this complete stranger knew what my name was. He knew that I was not well. He had the exact words that I needed to hear in that specific moment. He said that he and other people had been fighting for me. And everyone who I described him to had no idea what or, or who I was speaking about. Never saw him ever again. No trace of him ever again. And you know, a lot of people are going to hear that story and say, well, that's just a coincidence. There's, there's got to be an explanation for that. And let's not go, go crazy here. 
And yet whenever I remember that happening, I, I have no explanation for it. And I believe with all of my heart that that was a mystical experience. And that I was standing before an angel of heaven, visiting me, ministering to me just as he did to Jesus and to Paul and to so many other people. In fact, if you were to remember things that happened in your life and to look at it very closely, maybe you also have had experiences like that too. See, we can rejoice that it's not just demons who know who we are, but the angels of heaven know who we are as well. And yet, you know, as wonderful as angels are in our lives, we have something even greater than that. And what we can rejoice in all the days of our lives is that demonic spirits are not the only spirits that exist. In fact, we have the greatest spirit within us that has ever existed, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is in us. He is called a helper and a counselor and a, a, um, one, one who comforts in the upper room by Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is called a gift. And, you know, as we extend the gospel invitation this morning, you know, we, we do well in the churches of Christ of, of believing and teaching that, that when we're baptized, our sins are washed away. Amen. Hallelujah. And yet I think we do ourselves a great misservice when we downplay that we also have a gift called the Holy Spirit in us. And just imagine that the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in our souls right now. Strengthening us, empowering us, confirming to all of the forces of darkness that this is a daughter of God. That this is a son of the most high God and you, you have no permission to enter him. And so, yes, the spiritual forces of darkness know who we are, but, but in that title of the sermon, they know who you are, that's got a double meaning. What I'm really speaking about is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and all of the angelic hosts, they know who we are. They fight for us. They bled and they died for us. No matter what hell wants to accomplish in our lives, for all of those who have been baptized in Jesus and who live for the Holy Spirit and not for the flesh, Jesus comforts us with these words, your names are written in heaven. Amen. And in this we greatly rejoice.